Gwei, hello. Welcome back to an ep- another episode of Stilling Labrador Tea Under Cedar Trees with Kate and Mads. I almost forgot. <laughs> you almost forgot what we do here? Yeah. <laughs> like, who are we? What is happening? It's too early. I haven't eaten yet. <laughs> it's 10 a.m. Um... <laughs> yes, welcome back to another episode. And we're still outside canada yeah we're still on our colonial journey <laughs> yeah across the globe yeah um where are we going today to our first african continent country zambia and we are so excited to be chatting with michael today uh michael do you want to introduce yourself thank you so much kate and medlin um michael swangiso and i'm based here in lusaka zambia a landlocked country mm-hmm. with a uh, eight neighboring other countries. So that means we don't have access to the sea. Here in Zambia, I work with Vigia uh, on climate change-related project as well as decolonization. And um, on the flip side of the coin, I enjoy uh, running, I enjoy creative writing. I'm also a poet. So that is just a brief uh, description about myself. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're so glad that you got to join us. Yeah. Um, we're really looking forward to kind of getting your perspective um, on colonialism um, that impacted Zambia. And so if you're ready, we can get started. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of already introduced where you're from, but um, maybe if you wanted to touch on like what the experience, even if it's just your personal experience of what colonialism was like for Zambia. All right. Thank you so much. So luckily enough, we grew up with um, elders and people that used to tell us stories, those who were part of the struggle. Mm-hmm. And uh, before actually we got the what we call independence, which we got in 1964, our first president was uh, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda. But yes, um, their colonialism was a little bit different, like it shows itself nowadays. So what used to happen then, for example, you buy through the window, you won't enter into a shop as a, uh, an indigenous black person, a Zambian. Those are just some of the examples of um, the terrible policies that used to exist during coloniali- colonialism. And that itself had a lot of things in it. For example, so when it comes to education, people are told not to use their local languages, they'll be like, don't use vernacular. So it was more like grabbing what defines a person and giving everything, like everything was like colonial. They bring the policies and everything, just removing that identity of an African that mm. used to be there. So that that was the biggest part um, of, of colonialism. Mm. We can't detail about the oppression and other things, but in the nutshell, that shows the inequality that existed then. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. <clears throat> I think it's interesting, like, with, like, uh, this is the first time that we've got to touch upon Zambia and the African continent. <laughs> we just, we've done, you know, Korea, we've yeah. done part one of New Zealand, um, we've done different parts of Canada, Mexico, we've done Mexico, and just, like, hearing, you know, like, the the colonial playbook yeah right and how um fast and smart the colonizers were uh, and like applying lessons learned to the next place that they're going to colonize like that 
um, <clears throat> which I think is just so awful and like sinister um, <clears throat> and too like impressive. Yeah. And and also just like getting to hear from everyone when they're telling um, their histories and their stories of like seeing how they've tweaked it depending on where they were to to make it the most successful on their end of um, colonizing. And so hearing that like, but then a lot of the same similarities of like removing language, um, making sure that there was all these policies in place to like remove any traditional like governance and things like that and replacing it with like British or French like mm-hmm. colonization um governance and, and whatnot and so just completely yeah as you said removing that identity of like who you were as a person and as a as a as a nation and things and so um it's hard to hear mm-hmm. and, and know that like that's just that's just been the step-by-step that they've played yeah. mm-hmm. so good and we see that showing itself even today Although it's a different story, I think I will go into the detail of that. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So you've touched on that. And so with those impacts that have happened, um, what has been done um, in more recent time to be able to, like, reclaim culture or to, like, try to get back to traditional ways if if there is any measures that have been taken? Uh, in the context of um, the African con- context, it's really a challenge because of um, the inferiority complex that uh, colonialism brought, whereby even up to today, as a youth, if I was to play certain type of music that shows my identity, my fellow youths would be like, why do you listen to that kind of old music, village music? Mm-hmm. So much has not yet been done, but the good part is that People now are trying to realize that um, identity is a critical part of our, our lives. And that's what defines a person in detail. When you know who you are, you, 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 you will find that sense of fulfillment. So decolonization here in Africa, like I'll speak, for example, here in Zambia, it's Actually, the term is not even that known that it's decolonization work or everything, but there is some form of reclaiming who we are. And we see this in the world of art where people are embracing certain traditional aspects into music, Mm. into storytelling, in Mm. poetry. So those are smaller, smaller things that I'm seeing that people are now reclaiming that back. And in terms of policies, in Zambia, we have got 72 tribes. Wow. Out of those 72 tribes, they are regionalized. We have got seven common spoken ones. And from those seven common spoken ones, I'm one of those lucky people that can speak five of them. So wow, I can speak. <laughs> yes, I can speak Nyanja, I can speak Lozi, I can speak Tonga, I can speak Demba. If you can speak these languages, then you will survive. Not you, you will survive, but you you'll be in any part of the country and you, you'll you be understood, you'll speak with everyone. Mm-hmm. Because this language that like regionalized and the good part is that now those languages are incorporated in curriculum. We are learning. I actually got a distinction in, in my laws even up to high school. So we have incorporated those languages in our, in our curriculum in terms of policies and education part. 
and TV programs, radio programs, we include the language aspect. Um, but there is a lot of work to be done. In terms of the youth, there are youth that come in with this decolonize, decolonization mindset, although sometimes there are a little bit of extremes where they jump into like, I don't know how I can say it, but it's something like, it's not you decolonizing your mind and decolonizing yourself because as far as I'm concerned, decolonization is also a healing process where you, you identify the trauma that came with colonialism mm -hmm. and claim your identity, you are healing. You are moving with that aspect of healing rather than hate. So we are seeing some aspects of redefining who we are in, in this sector, uh, in, in, in our country. And that is another aspect that I would say it's, it's really interesting to see. Although the term decolonization is not really out there. That's completely valid. And I, I really enjoy like how you touch like decolonization. It's a healing process. And that there's so many layers that we have to go through as Indigenous people to heal our colonial trauma. Um, <clears throat> I do have a question though, like who taught you like all the languages? Like how were you able to learn five different languages? Thank you so much. Um, I'm one of the people that grew up in the rural setup of Zambia. And I was born actually in Lusaka. And when I was like in grade two, that's when I went to Western province to start learning laws and other languages. So when I was in grade two, I was old enough to know the language that is spoken in the city, that is Nyanja and Bemba. Mm. And when I moved, when I finished my grade 12, I came back to Lusaka. That meant again, learning and relearning the same language. I had many times traveling to Southern province. So there again, I learned. Then where I did my, my, my undergraduate, it was on the Copper Belt. So at the Copper Belt University where I was. So there the common language spoken is Bemba. Also I had to learn Bemba that side. So it's like in Western province, I, I learned laws in Lusaka, Nyanja and Bemba. Copper Belt, Bemba, Southern Province, Tonga. So that's how I learned the languages. That's so Whoa. cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like, it just, I imagine like it gives you more of a holistic worldview um, of your home, right? Of like, you understand all these different languages. You speak all these different languages from different geographical points in the country. And so like, there's more like depth and richness. Yeah. And ties yeah. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really understand. When I go to a certain part of the country, I understand the culture, how people live. And the, the amazing part is that an average Zambian just be, is just the same in terms, even when we have these different cultures and everything, but in terms of how we carry ourselves in society, it's almost the same. Mm, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Reads. Oh my gosh, I can't even really speak one language. <laughs> Still mastering English. Um, but no, and like we've talked about before, like how important having language and like keeping those languages alive are to all of our different cultures and nations and tribes, um, just because like that's very much like the heart can be like the heart and soul other than the land mm -hmm. uh, is the heart and soul of like what how we view the world how we communicate with each other and just like our connection to place as well so mm -hmm. like 
just language is, is more than just trying to talk to each other. It's like literally understanding yeah. where you are. Mm-hmm. And two, like, yeah. yeah. And then like when you, like the, the teaching of like, when you speak the language of the land, the land will take care of you. Mm-hmm. And so like Michael's so lucky because he goes to all different parts of Zambia and he's always going to know the land's going to take care of him. Yeah. Yeah. Was he amazing? Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god, now my yeah. tiny phone, tiny phone. Um yeah, that's it's great to hear that like the languages are being put back into this into the schooling system mm-hmm. and like are incorporated into a lot of just regular day life. That way people are able to hear it and pick it up and like it can it can continue on. Um that's a beautiful thing to see that that's that reclamation's happening in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like, what more do you think needs to be done though in order to like do more of the decolonization work? Thank you so much. So I, I think that is a very very great question because um, this decolonization work it starts from an individual, mm-hmm. goes back to organizations, government uh, departments policies, how we integrate decolonization in all these angles. So on an individual level, I feel like I said, it's the process of healing. It's it's very important, although not so easy to reclaim your identity, your culture, your dancing, everything that defines you. Sometimes it's tough on an individual level, mm-hmm. but it starts from the smaller things, the issue of uh, learning how to speak the languages, learning traditional songs, in traditional ceremonies, part of our identity. Those are key aspects that we should do on an individual, on a family level, um, storytelling. Um, this is something that used to happen even growing up in the rural parts of Zambia. In the evening, you gather uh, mostly grandma and, and our grandparents, our aunties who start giving us those stories that's how we learn about life and everything. And there are some lessons that I still uphold today that, that we use to be told through story, storytelling in terms of how to take care of the environment, how to take mm. care of people. Those are the things that we should embrace. And that can only also work very well if we incorporate it in decision-making, mm. in, in bigger organization, in the government. We want to see context-specific, um, inclusive um, decision-making process where indigenous perspectives are also considered because this notion of just thinking that only the Western culture is the best in terms of everything that we do, I think it, it's, it's, not, it's not good. And we should move from that notion and look forward to seeing implementing certain policies that are inclusive. Mm-hmm. We have people that they have never seen certain instruments that are used to measure weather and everything. But when they see certain um, termites or certain ants or dragonflies and everything, they'll tell you to say that, okay, this indicates that we have no rains in this period. So all those things, I feel like we should incorporate them in policy making at government level. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done. In terms of our office space, we should find spaces where indigenous perspective through identity is being embraced. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I feel like should be done rather than just embracing one 
one thing like Western, Western in the office space, it's Western. There are certain practices, knowledge systems that can be incorporated in our workspaces, mm-hmm. in policies. So that is the biggest part that I feel like should be done. And that starts with me, that starts with you. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely like the like the ancient knowledge that like all of our communities carry when it comes to like reading the land and um doesn't always we don't need scientific technology, right? Like we have these stories, we have the intergenerational um knowing, like intuitive of like, oh, that that tree is growing strange Mm -hmm. or that bug is coming back a lot, you know, like we have those signs to know that things are changing and um, folks just need to listen to us. Yeah. And also just like, it's important that those traditional ways are starting to get incorporated into different policies in different levels of like systems and whatnot, just because like, if you don't see yourself in these spaces and like see yourself being um, encouraged to be in these spaces, then it's, that's when the work doesn't get done. And so, yeah, I mm-hmm. think that's really good to hear that. Like people are seeing it and it just needs to, it just needs to happen. <laughs> you just got to do the work. The yeah. folks got to do the work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I'll give an example here in Zambia. Sometimes I'm going to be biased on international development as an example, where when it comes to international development projects or anything, sometimes the indigenous um, perspective, knowledge and everything is completely Mm sidelined. But these people who have lived, they know, they're in sync with the environment. They they understand them, the land, the land understands them. So... Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's really hard to implement certain projects where you put, you don't even put the people, the indigenous people in, on the front seat, but you actually kick them off the bus and you say the project will work where it lacks no, like there is no indigenous input, there is no indigenous perspective, everything is just imported and this is based maybe on a two week visit. You visit a place mm-hmm. for two weeks. You base your research on it two weeks and you sideline someone who has been living there for years, for mm-hmm. years, they've acquired knowledge. So that is something that I feel like that should be done. It's a very big decolonization work mm-hmm. that should be. Definitely. Definitely. Because as we've been saying throughout the whole season, like indigenous people are international people, mm-hmm. right? And like, it's important for us as indigenous people globally to talk to each other and be like, what's happening over there? What what can we learn from each other? How can we support and love each other and like rebuild our kingship ties that were broken? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's that's a huge one of just knowing, like seeing where you need to be and then just like not always being provided that space to be able to be there and being like you you know you need my perspective (laughs) and yet and you keep saying you want our perspective and yet you don't make the space for me to even give my perspective you want it to be curtailed to meet like what you're looking for yeah it's like usually the energy yeah and and it doesn't work well in most cases in in fact in all cases that didn't work well you find that people it does look at it and like 
there are a lot of examples, yes. Mm -hmm. That should be considered in terms of policy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely. What was it? At work, we've been talking about this a lot as well as like people being like constantly saying that they want these spaces, they want more Indigenous voices involved, but it's more of like a talking group. Yeah. And like not actually like following through with any of the thing recommendations that are put forward there's no like follow-up yeah. um and just yeah it's it's needs to change where we're like being like if we tell you that this needs to be done you need to see how you're going to get it done mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh my goodness um honestly is I there have one last question oh you have one okay excellent. i have one last I was question like, i have no more questions okay <laughs> 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 I have yeah. our favorite question. Okay. Okay. Michael, what are your three favorite things about being indigenous to Zambia? Three favorite things. One. Mm -hmm. Um first of all, I'm going to generalize that way. I feel like I was the best person to be in Zambia. If I was to be given another chance. How come as a Zambian? Because I, I believe there's a lot of work to be done as an indigenous person in Zambia. Mm -hmm. So one of the favorite things is that here in Zambia, we still have ties to as much as decolonization is trying by all means to destroy it. It's still an ongoing process, but there is a lot of ties to where we come from, uh, traditions and and that makes me just feel good um knowing that one of the biggest traditional ceremonies in the world is is is, is from my part of All right. Um, thank you so much. So um, I was talking of how proud I am to be a Zambian. Mm -hmm. And um, the biggest part is that um, regardless of the decolonization and everything, there is still some connection to our traditions. And um, the biggest part of it is that one of the biggest traditions here in Zambia, the Komboka ceremony, that is from my place, Western province. Mm -hmm. And it's it just a spectacular um, traditional ceremony where the king moves from the, the lower run, land of the the flood plain to the upper land. And it's it's a colorful tradition where there's a lot of paddling because where I come from, it's a flood plain. So that itself is the biggest part of it. And as I said earlier that I'm really happy to be Zambian because even, even, in, even if I was to be given a chance to say no, in the next life, which country would you choose? I would choose Zambia because I believe there's a lot of work to be done here in Zambia as an indigenous person in terms of reclaiming our identity. So, yes. Um, another interesting part about being an indigenous people, uh, an indigenous person here in Zambia is that um, we are we 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 the Zambians we are not to brag or anything, but we 
try to embrace other people. So if you come to Zambia, you'll find that it's a very welcoming environment. We really welcome different people and we embrace that. Yeah, we know this is our land and everything. We welcome people, we respect people. Um, we just live with one another in harmony. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's one of those countries where despite having 72 tribes, it's the peaceful country that you may visit in the southern part of Africa. Mm. So I'm really happy about that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's super beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're so happy that you were able to join us and, and get to tell us a little bit about your story and and, and Zambia and everything. Um, so we want to say thank you um, mm-hmm. for all of that and for sharing. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's so great. Mm-hmm. I always love hanging out with Michael. <laughs> You're a great storyteller. You I are. I really enjoy listening to you. Thank you so much. This was my pleasure too. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, where can you find us? You can find us. Well, one, you can find us at our website. We are promoting that. Yes, we are. Uh, SpillingTea.ca. <laughs> uh, but you can also find us on an Instagram or TikTok at SpillingLabTea under Cedar Trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you want to continue listening to us, you can feel free to, honestly, I just say Google Spilling Lab Tortilla under Cedar Trees. Uh, <laughs> and honestly, anywhere <laughs> we, we are able to be heard, it pops up. Yeah. Um, but Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Podcasts, google podcast i know i, I think keep, that's a lie i, I know we keep saying we it i don't it know if it's true um and there's that one place in germany so shout out to germany again yep um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so we thank you as always for listening and we hope that you join us next time see you later in the maltus <laughs>